0: All right, what is up, Bridge? How you guys doing tonight? I'm super excited to be here. Good to be back with you guys. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you do me a favor and go ahead and get out your app or go out, get out your Bible. Go to James, chapter four. James four is where we're going to be at. And while you're turning there, I think last time I was here, I shared with you that I used to be a social studies teacher. I taught psychology is one of the classes that I that I taught, and absolutely. Love that class. And if you ever get the chance when you get to high school or if you're in high school to to take psychology, I would highly, highly recommend it. It's such a fun class. Basically, it's a class that helps us learn more about humans, more about our our brains and our bodies and why we do the things that we do. And one of the things that we get to do in that class is look at different experiments that have been done throughout the the ages and throughout time with psychology. we get to see experiments like the one I'm about to share with you. In 1960, do I need to step back? In 1960, there was a, this psychologist, his name was Walter Michel, uh, and he created this experiment called the Marshmallow Test Experiment. And some of you guys have been eyeing these things up here, like, what's that all about? The Marshmallow Test, here's what he did. He asked kids ages four to five, come into a room, all that was in the room was a table, all that was on the table was a plate and one marshmallow. Now can you imagine a four or five year old sitting in front of a marshmallow? What do you think they're gonna do? They wanna eat that, right? Here's what the researchers told them, they said you can have this one marshmallow now or you can wait and get two marshmallows later. So one now or two later. And then they left. And then they just just watched the kids to see what they would do. And as you can bet, as a child, four or five years old, the the irresistibility of this soft white marshmallow, just sweet, like it's just, it's just, ah, I just have to have it, right? Uh, And what they were doing is they were trying to see if these kids, these four or five-year-olds, if they could hold two ideas in tension together, the two ideas of I want the treat versus I can wait for a better treat. I want it, but I can wait. Could they do that? And they recorded the the research, figure out what they did. Uh, And then what they did after that is they followed up with these kids some years later when they were adolescents and then into adult years and they wanted to see how these kids ended up in life. And here's what they found. This is what's interesting is that the kids that could wait tended to do better in school and thrive as adolescents and and I start there tonight because tonight we're in James chapter 4 and James will be challenging us to resist the world because there's a better way to live. To resist the one marshmallow of the world because God has a better plan for us with two marshmallows and so the pleasures of this world are tempting and they're desirable but we'll see tonight that God's desire is more than we could ever imagine. And so James, we're in this series of James, which has been great. I've been catching up with the podcast, listening to to hear what others have been saying. And and James, as you all know by now, is, is a wise guy, right? He's got some wise words. In fact, one commentary calls James the Proverbs of the New Testament. And so the book of Proverbs, as you know, is a book of wisdom. And James is like that here in the New Testament. And so the theme that you've heard throughout the last few weeks is that we can either live and learn or learn and then live, right? We can either live, do things our way, make mistakes, struggle, and then learn from that, or we can consult the owner's manual in life, the Bible, and we can do it right the first time. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about tonight. And so tonight, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, I encourage you to, the message title for tonight is this, one marshmallow or two, question mark one marshmallow or two and so with the book of james the key principle of this book is that god intends for a genuine biblical faith to result in a changed life if you have a a genuine faith that's biblical then your life ought to look different it ought to be changed in some way and so as we look at the book of james from a devotional perspective james is a practical manual that's going to help us understand how to live that better life how to live our faith in a way that we should according to God's word. And so over the last couple weeks, uh, week one, we learned that real faith should endure temptation, right? Chapter one, Nick was up here and shared uh, what that's all about. And then the week after that, we got to uh, the idea that real faith should show no favoritism. And in chapter two, Natalie was up here and she was talking about how our, our faith should produce works. And she had this really cool sticky statement where she said, we ought to put your works where your faith is. You remember that? Put your works where your faith is, which I thought was just just great. And then last week, Erica was here for chapter 3 to show us that real faith should change the way we speak, right? Our tongue is a very powerful thing, and she unpacked chapter 3 for us last week. And so this week, my hope, my prayer is that we'll see that real faith should transform our relationships. So one marshmallow or two. So we're going to dive into James chapter 4, starting with the first verse. If you're ready, say marshmallow. All right, so you can follow along in your Bible. You can watch the Sky Bible up here behind me. James 4, starting in chapter, chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So point number one, friendship with the world. Friendship with the world. So James is coming into chapter four and he's, he's, hold, he's not holding back, right? He's, he's pulling some punches here and he's calling them adulterers and adulteresses. Like that's pretty harsh. What does he mean by that? Well, adultery is basically anytime a, a married person enters into an intimate relationship with somebody that is not their spouse, not their husband, not their wife, that's called adultery. And when we look through scripture, we find that God often refers to himself as a husband to his people. And so for us today, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And so what he's saying here is that these Christians that he's talking to, that he's writing this this letter to, they've been unfaithful to God and they've fallen in love with the world, right? Because he says friendship with the world is enmity with God. And so the goals and objectives of the world, he's saying here is that they are in direct contrast to God's command. So things like self-promotion, being greedy, gossiping, materialism, idolatry, all these different things, these are in direct opposition to the ways of of God. And so to cling to the world and to those things, he says, is is to choose enmity with God. And that word enmity, if you want to write this definition down, it means being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. So in other words, what James is saying here is that if you choose the way of the world, then you are in fact in active opposition to God. And we see that friendship with the world comes from those sinful desires of the flesh. Go back and look at verses 1 and 2. It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that are in your members, meaning that are in in your body? And so for us, um, in our fallen nature, while we may put our faith in Christ and be saved and you are signed, sealed, delivered, unfortunately on this side of heaven, we still wrestle with sin. We still have that sin nature that we have to, to wrestle with. And so the world, your flesh, and the devil are constantly at war with the spirit within you. And so what he's saying here is that that sin nature is, is going to ultimately lead to conflict. Anytime you get people together, we're all sinful people, conflict inevitably will ensue. It's kind of like marriage. Now you're not married yet, most of you, I'm assuming none of you, um, but I am. My wife and I, we've been married for about 15 years now. We've been dating. Uh, i got a picture of here coming up pretty soon. We've got Um, two kids we've been married for about 15 years like I said and we've been together for about 20 years and she is my best friend and I love her to death Um, but I will be honest there are days that we don't always get along right because you've got two selfish sinful people that are living together trying to make the family work and so problems will ensue For, for example case in point just the other day we're in the car it's getting late in the afternoon and it's about dinner time and so I say hey babe what do you want for dinner and she gives me the, I don't care. And I'm like, hold on. Whenever she says, I don't care, she actually does care. What that means is I don't care as long as it's a place I like. And so me, again, this was not my, my proudest husband moment. I know that she doesn't like this particular restaurant. So I was like, well, let's go to Chipotle then. I love Chipotle, anybody else? Chipotle, right. So she, she does not like Chipotle can't stand cilantro. And so I'm like, well, let's go to Chipotle. And then she's like, ah, you know I hate that. And this innocent kind of argument went back and forth about what we're going to have for dinner. Now, that's kind of a, um, a lighthearted banter between husband and wife. But I, I share that because inevit, inevitably there will be conflict because we both are selfish people at, at some point, right? And so as followers of Jesus, we're trying to, to be better about that every every day, but it always kind of can come back up and you got to check yourself with that. And so what James is saying here is that that's what's happening in, with this group of people is they're, conf- they're having conflict because they're of their fallen nature. And so all conflict comes from desires within us, desires that are motivated by wanting earthly pleasures. We want the things that we see others have here um, on earth. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. Or in other words, you ask with the wrong motives. When you're praying, you have the wrong heart posture. You're not asking for his glory, but rather you're asking for your glory. And that's the wrong motive. And so God wants to answer our prayers, but if our heart posture is so that it will benefit me, he's not going to bless that. And so we've got to make sure that when we come before the Lord and and we're praying and we're petitioning and we're, we're asking for things, that it's with the heart that is pure. It's with the right motives. And so, Bridge, tonight, what's your motive when you pray for things? Or is God just kind of like a genie in a bottle to you? Like, God, please, I pray that my team will win. Or God, please bless me in some way. James is saying that that's that's the wrong motive. And so what does friendship with the world look like? I think one indication that you could look at to say what is friendship with the world is, is our behavior. How are we behaving? How are we conducting ourselves at school and with our friends, especially our friends who don't know Jesus? Do we live our life that's any different? Are we making choices and going places that we know we probably shouldn't go? See, we've gotta be careful not to deceive ourselves into thinking that we can live in close fellowship with God and at the same time set our hearts on things of the world. Because the world would like to say one marshmallow, that's all you need. It's sweet, it's soft, it tastes good, it's something to be desired. But God's going to say that there's more for us. And so we can't do both. We can't be in the world and at the same time Have fellowship with God. In fact, Paul would say it this way in Romans 8, verses 7 and 8. He would say, because the carnal mind is enmity, there's that word again, against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Can't do it. And so when you look at your life, some self-reflection here. What's important to you? When you look at your life... What's important to you? The reason I ask that is because if anything or anyone is more important to you than Jesus, then you may be entering friendship with the world and I would caution you. See, Jesus would say in Matthew 6, 24 that we can't serve two masters. Either you'll love the one and hate the other. And so you have to decide. Am I all in for Jesus or not? And so, are you a friend of the world? Are you settling for one marshmallow? But see, James turns a corner here. So he starts out with those first five verses about, like, hey, you guys are doing terrible things. That's not good. Stop it. Knock it off. But then he turns a corner in verse six. And check this out. But he gives more grace. Aren't y'all thankful for the big butts of the Bible? Aren't you thankful for those big butts? But listen, here's what I mean by that. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Or how about this, Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Joseph knew this in Genesis, Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And even Jesus in Matthew 19, 26, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible and all things are possible with God. And so we're thankful for those big butts in the Bible. And so verse six, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Y'all, that is the second marshmallow. That's it right there. The world says one's enough, just eat the one now. God says, no, wait, there's something better. There's two marshmallows that you could have or the whole bag, right? And that's it, draw near to God, verse eight, and he will draw near to you, that's a promise. That God will draw near to us when we draw near to him. And he goes on, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's a promise. And that's that's good news. So point number two, and we only got two points tonight, so we're rolling. Point number two is this, friendship with God. So we've got friendship with the world or friendship with God. And so this kind of friendship comes from the gracious desire of God. We see that, but he gives more grace. God desires to have a relationship with you. He loves you. That's what he wants for us. But I know growing up in this world, especially if you're Uh, and immersed in the in the world in the ways of like public schools and things like that You, you see this all the time and so looking at the worldliness all around us may feel you might feel like it's too hard you might feel like it's just everywhere it's in music it's in the culture it's in the movies and maybe you're wondering whether the struggle will ever end and I get it it's not easy it's not easy to resist the appeal of the world because it looks good. The Bible is very clear, sin is pleasurable for a time. It looks good. And I wish we had more time to unpack verse 7 where he says, to resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's so much that, you could, that we could tease out of what it means to resist the devil and how to do that. We just don't have the time. But I, I, I can share with you that, that I understand the struggle of what it means. Um, to deal and live in in the world. See, for me, I grew up in church, and I think I shared this a little bit last time. Um, But my testimony is that I was marked probably by by lust and pride and just spiritual laziness, honestly, when I was middle school, high school, even in college. Um, And it's unfortunate, but for me, it played out like this. When I was in fourth grade, I was over at a sleepover. And the friend's house that I was at, that was where I was exposed to pornography for the first time. And from that day for years afterwards, that was something that, that, this, that the devil just gripped my heart with. And so that, that one marshmallow, I ate it every time. And cycle after cycle, feel guilty, feel ashamed, but just kept turning back to it. And that was the way it was for, for many years. And, and see, growing up in church, I knew about God. But i'll be honest with you looking back now i didn't really know god see there's a difference between knowing about god and knowing god the demons the bible says know about god and they tremble right but do you actually know him you see it wasn't until uh, a friend of mine much later in life came alongside me and really showed me who jesus was and how to really study and read the bible for myself and it was in those encounters with him, where we were encountering the Lord together, that I realized that I'd, I had never really given my life to Christ. And so it was not until later in life that I truly understood the cost of discipleship to Jesus. And so I, I came to the realization that, and this is my, my encouragement to you guys, is that if we seek intimate fellowship with Jesus by giving up our own way, see I was doing things my way, And just like we've said this whole series, we can either live and then learn, and that's exactly what I was doing. I was doing it my way, and it wasn't really working out. But if we seek intimate fellowship with Jesus by giving up our own way, taking up our cross, and following him, then we gain everything we need in this life and the one to come. And y'all, that is the whole bag of marshmallows. That's everything. Changes our life forever. But if we try to hang on to the old worldly way of life, Jesus said we will end up losing everything. However, if we give up our lives to pursue friendship with Christ for the sake of the gospel, then we gain salvation and everlasting life with him. And we find this in Mark chapter 8, verse 35. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So verse 8, he says, draw near to God. How do we do that? How do we draw near to God? Well, look at the text. It's right there. See, the Bible is not always, it's not hard to understand. But I'll be honest, it's, it's kind of hard to believe Sometimes. Look at the text. How do we draw near to God? Well, look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Therefore, submit to God. Submit to God. It begins with submission. Submission. Friendship with God results in submission to the authority of God. And it's only when we have that proper view of who God is. That we see him as the creator of everything. That he created you, he created me, he owns everything. He's not hurting for our money. He doesn't need anything that we could offer him other than our genuine submission and love for him. That's what he desires. And then what else does it say? It goes on, it says, "Cleanse cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, And so if we're gonna draw near to God, then we need to deal with the stuff on the inside and the outside. We need to cleanse our hands and we need to purify our hearts. So for some of you in here, that looks like repenting, repenting from the websites you've been going to when you think nobody's looking. Maybe for others of you, it's apologizing to your parents for something you said, did, Maybe it's reconciling a a friendship that, because of your own selfishness and greed, tore you apart. Cleanse your hands. But then the other half of that is on the inside. Purify your heart. So that means being honest about our sin. Checking our heart. Why were we behaving in those ways? What was our heart posture, our heart motive? And then verse nine. He says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now that sounds like a huge bummer, like a huge downer, right? What he's saying is you've got to be burdened over your sin. You've got to be broken because of that sin because until you're burdened for it and you're lamenting and you're weeping over that sin, then you're probably gonna just keep doing it. And that's where I was middle school, high school, I was not really truly broken because of that. And it took some time and and a friend of mine discipling me to, to help me to see what it was for what it is. And so my prayer for you all tonight too, is that as you reflect on your life, that you would see that as well. That whatever the sin is for you, maybe it's gossip or just selfishness or greed, or maybe it is lust or pride, that you would be broken for that as well. And then verse 10, finally he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And so finally we have gotta humble ourselves. And one of the best ways to humble ourselves is to recognize our need for a savior and to ask Jesus to be the one to save our souls. You see, Jesus, he came down to this earth, lived the perfect life, died the death that you and I deserved Nobody else could have done that, and because of that, we now get to have access to the Father, and we now get to have the joy of a whole bag full of marshmallows, because we now get to spend eternity with heaven. That's way cooler, and that's way better than anything this world has to offer. Temporarily here on this planet, it might look cool to have the newest and latest greatest technology or clothes or be the best athlete or the most popular or whatever the thing is that we're striving for that is of no eternal value. But everything that that God offers us is so much better. And so Bridge, if, if you've never made that decision, if you've never had that moment in your life where you're like, yep, I am a sinner and that I'm broken over my sin and I'm submitting my life to the authority of King Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life forever, then tonight I would encourage you to do that. Talk to your small group leader, talk to me. I'd love to pray with you, pray over you if that's a decision you've not made yet. And so here's the whole message. I know this is something that, that you all do here. And so this is what you're, what you're looking for, right? If you're gonna memorize one thing Memorize this, given the choice between friendship with the world or friendship with God, choosing Christ will be the best thing we could ever do with your life. That's it. That's the whole message. You've got a choice. Am I going to have friendship with the world or friendship with God? And I promise you that a life submitted to Christ is the better deal than the one marshmallow that this world is offering. And so I pray that you would make that choice today, Bridge. I love you guys, I'm glad that you guys are here. Let me pray for us, and then we'll enter into a time of worship. Father I would just thank you for today. Thank you for how good you are, how big you are, how much you love us, and just how awesome you are. You know everything about us, you created us, you desire a relationship with us. And Lord, I pray that if if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that they would admit that they're a sinner, that they would believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died and that he rose again, and that they would confess him as Lord of their life today. Lord, we love you, we thank you for who you are. It's in your name we pray, amen.